Welcome to our Lead to Succeed podcast, where we share leadership and business growth insights, both from our own experiences and that of our guests. We're the hosts. I'm Rebecca Jenkins, founder of Argen, helping companies to grow by finding, gaining and growing the best clients. And I'm Callum, sharing my perspectives from both being an entrepreneur and working in a variety of different companies. Whether you lead a team or a business, you'll find practical tips, inspirational insights and ideas as we discuss a wide range of leadership topics. So with that, here's today's episode. Welcome to our Lead to Succeed podcast. And we have Barbara Waxman with us today. Alan has also joined. And Barbara Waxman is the founder of Odyssey Group Coaching. And Barbara is very passionate about building leaders and helping them to thrive in what we have to admit is an even more complex world. Now, Barbara's been doing this for over two decades. Uh, coaching C-suite executives and entrepreneurs and to help them with a very, which Barbara will tell us more about this, but it's about having a very holistic approach to help clients to lead, to communicate and do that authentically and to create significant impact. So a very big welcome to you, Barbara. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. And we were just talking in a very short sentence about how you would summarize what you do. So let's hear that. After asking clients, after I've coached them, and these are typically C-suite leaders of companies or entrepreneurs, how to go? What, how would you articulate what happened as a result of our work? And they've said, well, I'm making more money in less time and I'm I'm more joyful. I'm happier for it. So I'd say that's my brand promise. Uh, and to do it, I teach people how to go slow to go fast. Leadership from the inside out. And it's all about resilience, which I know we'll talk about. It's going to be the key topic for our conversation today. Right, I'm going to jump in because uh, that's exactly what I want to jump in straight into, Barbara. So thanks very much for joining. We're looking forward to you know having a conversation today. And I wanted to jump straight into resilience and in leadership specifically, because you, you mentioned, uh, you, you outlined here, the resilient leadership is all about the ability to, to lead oneself, inspire others in the face of challenge and change with clarity of mind, body and spirit to create good in the world. So I'd love to sort of hand back over to you and if you could just kind of tell us a little bit more about that, how you approach it and how you sort of coach others to uh, lead with, um, with resilience. Absolutely. Oftentimes, people look for coaching or finally look for help when they're actually rusting out or, burn, or close to burnout, right? We don't typically look to hire a coach or get that extra help as adults. We do it for our kids. Oh, they'll be even better at this or that if we get them a coach. But by the time people come to me, they're feeling beaten down in some way. And what I recognized, especially I published this report, which is a free download on my website, the future of resilient leadership during COVID when leaders needed to double down on their ability, not only to lead a company, but to lead the people within it. And so in order to be a resilient leader, I'd say there are five stages or five things to know. One is to 
Know your own story. Know your own life story, the hills, the valleys, so that you can reap the wisdom from it. Also, know you are enough. Every leader has gremlins. Every leader, we all have these messengers saying, really? You've tried that before and it didn't work. Are you going to lead your company or your life or your family in this way? You could fail. So I hope people understand how to assess their own risk analysis, right? So they are enough. They have it. How do we figure out what help you need and when it's worth the risk? That's the second part. Resilience has to do with cultivating the courage related to number two and being vulnerable. Every single one of us, no matter what age or what stage of life, no matter we, if I've led politicians, worked with politicians, people who are famous and look successful on the outside and on the inside, they have vulnerabilities like we all do. So understanding how to articulate and share in ways to enable others to follow your leadership, because in fact, vulnerabilities being vulnerable is that sticky factor is important. That's the fourth. And that understanding change, understanding that change is a cycle we go through. It will come again and again and again. And understanding the four parts of change we could talk about later because it's important for people to understand those four, four parts uh, is part of leadership. There is never going to be the final way or the final answer as to how to sell or how to lead a business, because it all changes. And so there's sort of some ways there to, I guess, uh, sort of reflect inwards on yourself before you're starting to, to lead a team there, Barbara. But obviously there's, you know, you met, you outlined in um, something I read of yours where you said approximately like 60% of people are sort of feeling burnt out by the end of the week or the end of the first day. What, what do you think is causing such like an increase in people feeling bur burnt out today? Some, well, some of it has had to do with social isolation mm -hmm. and it's, didn't start in COVID, it's dated us since really technology, which was supposed to be a time-saving tool, has become a time suck. So people are lonelier and the research around people being depressed vastly increases associated with their social media exposure. Because we all like to reflect, hey, don't I have an awesome life? People curate their lives in ways that don't really help others. And at the same time, people leading those companies create metrics and tools for themselves. You know, those little dot, 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 you write a text and then you see a dot, dot, dot if someone else is in the process of writing back. I read about when that was created. The people who created mm -hmm. that thought, how are we gonna get people to stay in the conversation to not stop looking at their phone? Let's try this, it's addictive. So. Part of why people have become burnt out has to do with technology. It's had to do with social isolation as a result of COVID and the bad habits we've developed about not saying, you know what, I haven't seen my neighbor in a few days. I'm going to knock on that door. People don't do that like they used to. And I, for one, am trying to encourage people to practice what we call random acts of kindness every single day because it not only brings joy to others, but it's part of our own resilience. We feel better for it. So that's part of it, where it came from. What do you do, Barbara, when somebody comes to you who is feeling depleted, 
stressed, they're a leader in a big organization, they're not showing any vulnerability. What process do you take them through in your coaching? And what tips could you share with any listeners who might be feeling some of those symptoms? So I developed a short, free, easy to access, research-based quiz. It's 25 questions. It's called the Thriving Quiz. It's also free on my website. I give it away because what it does, it helps people self-assess the five essential areas to people's sense of thriving. So when a leader comes to me, that is the foundational piece of work we do. The first has to do with the tip of the iceberg we all see, which is diet and exercise. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. The second area has to, the five, each or five questions has to do with rest and renewal. I separate those two. One is rest. And my biggest advice is get the sleep you need. We all know pretty much how much sleep we need or we fool ourselves. Anyone who's saying, oh, I need less than six hours, less than 2% of the population needs less than six hours. What is the amount of sleep you need to have equanimity, that consistent sense of energy during the day? And then renewal, what are the practices? Like taking two deep breaths before starting a meeting or a phone call. It takes seconds and changes your physiology. So diet and exercise, um, rest and renewal, focus and growth. So many leaders have multitasking as a habit and it's they do it because they think there's no other way. And what it does, it creates kind of a cross-firing of our brain signals. And so we get l more stressed, less done because the switching time is taking over. Rather, I help people understand how to bundle activities. How do we coordinate doing things that won't distract. So if people are saying, I don't have time to exercise anymore. We talk about sometimes having walking meetings yeah. or people have to do trainings. They have their iPad up and they're on a bicycle, you know, an indoor bike, that kind of thing. So we had a bundle for focus and growth. Uh, then there's joy and passion. The example is do one nice thing for some someone mm -hmm. every day. Anyone has time to do that. It could be a smile. Yeah, And then the, the fifth area that I think is really germane to your work has to do with people's relationship with time. People f are starved for time. There's this sense of time affluence and time starvation. And how do we help people shift to the sense of time affluence? So when somebody uh, comes to you, you take them through each, they do the quiz, they get an assessment, which is fantastic. And then we'll put the details to your website in the show notes so people can go and do that assessment. And they come out with the score. Then I guess they might book a call with you and develop the sort of knowledge and learning a little bit more with you after that. So, Helen, is there any one of these areas that you'd really like to dive into? I've got one I'd like to focus on, but maybe you've got I one. I would, you. yeah. There's a there's a bit that you mentioned about joy and passion, Barbara. We said staying connected to small moments of sm small moments of joy that create an exponential effect. And I find for me, I'm a bit of a 
I love coffee, right? Coffee is something I, I really enjoy. And I probably one of my sort of favorite small moments throughout the day is like your first kind of morning coffee, especially if you've got like a bit of a sunrise or you're outside and it's a bit crisp or something like that. Those sort of like two or three minutes for me, like drinking a coffee is something I really quite enjoy. What have you seen to be sort of quite, a, you know, some common things that your, your clients or people that you've worked with have done in, in that regard? Well, first of all, you're a genius because many people don't recognize that the small rituals they have have a huge outsized impact in how they start their day. And so I'll have to remind them, how do you start your day? And they'll say, well, I'll have my coffee. And, and then I'll say, okay, if you didn't have your coffee, what would happen? And they'd say, no, no, I couldn't have my day. You already recognize. And if you have gratitude for those moments, and if you, and it sounds Callum, like you do take a moment to say, this is awesome. I'm making my coffee. Every day. Gratitude, right, is and consciousness about those small things, which are really large things, will set you off for a day where you will have more resilience. Because when you think of it, and this is one of the first things I do with people, say your personal resilience, you probably treat like an ocean. I'm going to keep pulling from it. I have a lot to get done. I have a lot of energy. I'm, I know what I want to accomplish. But our personal reservoir is a reservoir, in fact, not an ocean, a lake. It, it is not endless. And so you have to replenish it. And if you consciously have gratitude and say, having my coffee, I'm replenishing my reservoir. So when I need to pull from it later, then I'm consciously saying, you know what? All is not lost. I've had some moments. I'm, I can do this now. The other thing I'll tell people is what is the most difficult challenge you have today or next or tomorrow? And what they'll say is I have to let someone go. I have a really difficult conversation. Okay. How do you feel about that? Well, it's going to take everything I've got. I don't like to have conflict, whatever it is. When do you think you're going to have that? Well, I have a bunch of meetings. I'll get a lot done and then I'll really create the time typically in the afternoon to do it. That is completely the wrong way to think about it. Because what we do when we get all the low hanging fruit, okay, I can get my emails out of the way. I can set some appointments and have a strategy session that I'm all ready for. So I'm going to save what's most challenging for when my energy is actually pretty depleted. And then what happens is twofold. People either say, I'm a procrastinator. Because when your energy is low, you figure out a way to push that off or it didn't go so well. I don't like conflict anyway, and I knew I wouldn't handle it well. Rather, when is your energy and focus the greatest? Do the most difficult thing of your day, and even if you only get one thing done well, you will feel better for it, and it'll actually energize the rest of your day. So those are a couple of ways I help people. I really like that, Barbara. I really like focusing on the bigger tasks, the important tasks, Maybe the harder tasks as well at the beginning of the day when you're feeling refreshed and revived. And doesn't it feel good to have got them out of the way? And then you can do the easier things a little bit later on. Yeah, so I, I love that. You're, you've got a brilliant download on your website. Again, I recommend everybody to go and take a read of that about the future of leadership and being a resilient leader. And in that, you talk about the three 
types of energy that we have. You've touched on our personal energy being a lake, a reservoir. We need to keep that fulfilled and refreshed. Um, you talk about interpersonal and universal energy. It'd be nice to explore that in a bit more detail. Absolutely. So people, first of all, think of energy as something external to us. And we are electrical beings, right? Our nervous system, our electrical impulses, and that's how we move. And when that electrical cord, our spinal cord, our nerve system is cut, that's people are paralyzed. They can't move. So first of all, people have to deeply understand that we are electrical beings. And so we are energy. And the energy is three kinds. You mentioned, uh, and I referred to personal energy, which is this reservoir we need to continue to replenish. And each one of us replenishes in different ways. So have a consciousness about what replenishes yours. The second kind of energy, which is so important to the kind of work that you both do in sales and growing companies is our interpersonal energy. And I think of that like a bank account. We have social currency. We have to determine when we're going to use that social currency, understand who else has social currency and how can we join forces, right? To create an investment that is going to yield greater benefits. I think one of the biggest challenges when we think about our social currency is who makes too big a withdrawal from your social currency bank account? There are many leaders who do workarounds because they say, I'm a loyal person and I believe in loyalty. But to what end? If I am loyal to the growth of my company and to the 500, 300, 50 thousands people who work there, don't let one person hold you hostage and don't do a workaround. So understand who is making a withdrawal, could be in your personal life, and how do you minimize the impact on your overall social currency? That's the second part. And then the third is universal energy. And that's where I'll bring in the story about the monks that you mentioned. I write about this in the report. It was so compelling when I started to try to learn about how we can be clear, powerful, authentic, and caring leaders the New Yorker in me, I live in California now, and in California, we're very creative and great listeners, and we're known to be, and in New York, we're known to be very much by the book and kind of what's the end game. And so I'm both, which I think is one of the things my clients like about me. I'm both process-oriented and we work towards results. So I was skeptical about energy in general, and I wanted to learn about it. And I happened to turn on the television, this was years ago, and I saw a special report about mindset and wanted to learn about it. And there were these monks who were interviewed and they were on location. I don't know if it was Alaska, it was somewhere very cold because they were in ice igloos in their saffron colored robes. And I'll never forget, I saw them sitting there and they're sitting on blankets, but basically they only had the robes on. And they talked about how they were going to start a process together in this small circle of meditating on heat. And they did a time delay. I think it was only about 10 or 15 minutes. You started to see rivulets of sweat come down 
their foreheads and their faces. And I recognized, they said, training your mind is as powerful as training any other part of you. And I've done more research on it and it is true. So I will say the universal energy is being in nature. Again, proven. If you go outside in nature, you take a few breaths, your blood pressure actually goes down. Art, music, these are all ways that we can, they're from the outside, which is why I call them all universal, access things. So what are the things that help calm your system down so you can refocus and be clear? So understanding your relationship with universal energy, which are snippets. If you train yourself, it can take five, 10 seconds to recenter. Super important to understand. Well, Callum and I are massive fans of having a mindset that helps you get where you want to be. And I think it's probably one of the most important pieces of work you ever do for yourself to, when I say manage your mindset, I think it gives the wrong impression and it's not control, but it's just to create the right mindset for you and to achieve your big goals or whatever it is you want to achieve in life. I'm sure Callum is jumping in with a question. So Callum, I'm just gonna ask this one then I'll hand over to you. Could you share with us uh, a personal experience, Barbara, where you came to really realize that mindset and energy and the connectivity between the two helped you, maybe in a, a particular challenge that you faced? The story that comes to mind isn't work-related. It's actually from my personal life. So it's um, probably mo more important than anything. And it was when my daughter was eight years old, she wanted to leave her own birthday party. And Callum, if you remember when you were eight or uh, an eight-year-old doesn't want to leave your party, their own party. So I knew something was very wrong. And sh shortly thereafter, she was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. And traditional medicine, Western medicine, and you can imagine we went to the best doctors, really said that she needed major surgery and nothing else would work. I'm, I'm giving you the short story. And at the time, this was around uh, nine, late 1990s, um, there is a lot more in the literature now about alternative approaches. There wasn't as much then. And my father was a doctor and my mindset was very much Western medicine. But something in me shifted and I understood that risk tolerance that I mentioned kind of in the preview earlier that I needed to take a risk and change my mindset about what health could be. And I did that. And I took the time to research all kinds of alternatives. And I thought, I'm going to try anything that's not going to harm her. And ultimately, she um, has her whole body. Actually, she just had a baby six weeks ago. She's now 31. So this was a this was my introduction to mindset. And taking a risk to really say, how is my mindset serving me? And how was my old mindset holding me back? And I needed to educate myself about the alternatives that were possible. And of course, there was something that was so important to me that I was willing to risk anything. Well, congratulations on your daughter having a baby. How exciting and how fantastic. And I'm sure did you face objections to that 
with your dad being in the medical profession? So lots of people said, how can you fly in the face of Western medicine? I thought her doctors were going to call child protective services because I wouldn't put her back on <laughs> drugs they thought she needed, uh, but they respected what I was doing. So people thought, um, how are you doing this? How do you have the courage to do this? My husband was so supportive. My daughter was only eight, so I could do whatever. Uh, and actually one of the things that gave me a lot of courage was that my father, before that, four years before that, he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, went through a process where he learned, and you know, in that school of thought, everything happens for a reason. He lived for a year with pancreatic cancer, which really is a very challenging disease. And he lived that long because he learned to meditate. He learned to try alternative things. And I never thought, I mean, I thought he's trying to do whatever he could to stay alive. And then when Jill, after he passed away, when Jill was ill, that gave me the wind beneath my wings to say, I never paid attention to what he was learning, but I think it's time I look into it. So uh, I think he helped me in many ways. And I think that's another big lesson in authenticity. Our life stories hold so much wisdom for us. And had I not kind of excavated my history, I don't know that I would have done that and had the courage. Well, thank you for sharing such two personal stories, Barbara. And um, yeah, I'm glad to hear that your daughter uh, came came through the, the the side of it and seems to be healthy and happy from, from what you've said. And I think it's a really good example, as you said, of sort of changing your mindset, kind of reflecting inwards and sort of acting accordingly going, going forwards. Um, the question I, I'd really love to, to ask you, sort of going back to what we were discussing at the, the start of the podcast, you know, people sort of being resilient, having di difficulties with burnout and sort of some of those, you know, those five aspects that they can sort of incorporate into their daily lives to, you know, lead with resilience, lead their team, their company and their culture. Do you have any sort of particular stories you might be able to share with us where you've had a client that you've worked with that was facing some sort of, you know, particular challenge, whether that be burnout, leading a team, whatever it was, and how they implemented some of those things that we've discussed to you know, come to, to their sort of desired outcome. Absolutely. I have many stories. Uh, the one that I will share is about Alexandra. And uh, she's she was leading a company, still is, that she's extremely passionate about in service to families whose children have life-threatening illnesses. Um, interesting on the heels of my other story, it just so happens. This is the, the story I'll share with you, but it had nothing to do with my, with my daughter. This is years later that I've been working with Alexandra. And so she thought there was no other way, but to give 24 seven to building, uh, this organization. And by the time I was called in to work with her, she kept canceling meetings because she was sick, because she was exhausted. And she thought that being available 24 seven was the way to make everything work. And so she'd be so exhausted, she couldn't see that actually spending time to build her team in ways that she could take the time off to work on her health and trust and delegate and empower them would be beneficial. She was one of those leaders that felt they needed a hand in everything. And so I gave her the quiz. And she failed miserably. Uh, and she said, I don't even know where to begin. 
So we started at the very beginning taking micro steps, saying, what is what, what's the lowest hanging fruit? When I'm saying take the look at your day and do the toughest thing when you have the most energy, this is the opposite. When you are really burnt out, look at the lowest hanging fruit and say, what's one thing you can do? So she started building small step by small step. And then she took a risk to say, if I work from six to 8 a.m., she was an early bird, and get everything set for the day, she really wanted to take a yoga class from eight to 9.30, but I could never not be in the office eight to 9.30. And I asked her to take a risk to let people know she won't be there then and to do this three times a week. Let's make an experiment four weeks, one month of doing this, and let's see what happens. It was a small shift to make with immense changes that actually helped the whole organization. And now she is, has completely changed her leadership. Her organization has grown and uh, she's also got married for the first time at 60. She'd never been married. She didn't have time for a social life. So everything shifted. And uh, she now says she feels a sense of time affluence more impact and certainly more joy well that's yeah that sums it up very nicely from where we started at the beginning and what a fantastic outcome yes really love that so as we draw to a close barbara will uh share you'll be able to share how we get in touch with you just uh just a big wrap up but what three practical steps would you recommend our listeners to take to be a more resilient leader and increase their energy and not feel burnt out so three steps would be fantastic or three actions first know yourself spend some time make a date with yourself to actually think about the long view and to take the long view of your life Think of yourself when you're 100 years old. Really close your eyes, take a breath. You're 100. What do you want to say to yourself today? So start with your own wisdom and inner wise one because you know much of what you are searching for already. So one, know your life story, know yourself and take the long view. Next, take the thriving quiz. It's free, it's easy to take. See, maybe you're thriving more than you thought you were. You can identify small things that you can do. So that's number two. And the third thing is, what's something that brings you joy that also will make someone else smile? Think about it and do it today. Thank you. Well, Thanks Colin. Thanks so for having me. Oh, it's been an absolute delight to have you, Barbara. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. So where what's happening in your life? What projects would you like to share? How best can our listeners get in touch with you? I'm heading to Baja to lead a really wonderful workshop at the Modern Elder Academy. It's called Consciously Curating Your Life. And it's a five-day mastery workshop. Um, and I, my website is the best way to contact me. It's my name, 
barbarawaxman.com and people can sign up for a 15 minute conversation to explore what's on their mind. Uh, though those are some of the things uh, that I've got coming up. And that's where they can access the quiz as well. Yes. Yeah. Right on the website. So thank you, Barbara. It's been wonderful to, to chat with you and to learn about how to be a resilient leader in a very complex world. Thank you. Thanks so much. Take yeah, big care. thank you for uh, coming on, Barbara. I was just going to say, I've never been to Baja, but I've seen good things. So uh, enjoy your trip and thank you very much for joining. Come on, join us. <laughs> All right, take care. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And as always, if you enjoyed it, we welcome a review. And if you have any questions and like to get in touch with us, you can do that at the rgen, rjen.co.uk website.